1: Lock Talk Radio.
0: What's going on, UTEP fans, UTEP uh, nation, Minor Rush fans out there? What's going on? It's Alex Nicholas here with the Rush Podcast, coming to you solo. Uh, Anthony Salome is not with me tonight, so it's definitely a trial run, trying to see if this even uh, if you can even hear me through the mic here. So, yeah, you can't hear me. So, what's up? What's going on? Let's right into it. Sorry about that little delay. Like I said, we're having a new uh, deal here with the podcast, trying to test this so, out. Going solo today. But lots to talk about. Uh, lots to catch you up on. we got a lot of information. A lot of stuff that's happened. First thing that comes to mind, obviously, the UTEP basketball recruiting class is almost signed and delivered. Uh, pretty much everybody was expected to sign. Minus one has signed. Um so that's going to be definitely something interesting to keep an eye on over the next couple of weeks uh, as to Darius Brewer, if he's going to UTEP football. Uh, that season is unfortunately pretty much over. It looks like it's pretty much over the way things are going. We're definitely get to that. in UTEP basketball. They will start their season tomorrow against Wake Forest. But definitely first thing that I wanted to touch on today is uh, the recruiting class that is almost finalized. You have... Four of the five that were expected to uh, commit went ahead and signed on the dotted line. Uh, the latest one yesterday, and, and to me, in my opinion, probably the biggest signing uh, that UTEP could have brought in uh, was the, uh, Roderick Williams, the JUCO guard, uh, JUCO combo forward, uh, forward guard out of Los Angeles area, East Los Angeles JUCO, uh, already recording a double-double. His first game uh, in the first tournament, I believe he was the MVP throughout that. Uh, in, the, in the two games, 17 and a half points, 10 rebounds. This guy, I think, is the, I guess you can call him the, the crown jewel of what what Floyd wanted uh, in his recruiting class. And this is a guy I think that's really, really going to make a big difference uh, for the minors next year. I think he's, if you're asking me who's going to be that first guy that's going to come in and, and make an impact, I really think it's going to be a guy like Roderick Williams, the great size. He has Gert which is something that Utah definitely needs out of their guards. They need that girth. Uh, they need that size. They need that guy that can play inside and out. And he's going to bring that, um, you know, I, I kind of liken him to maybe a more polished Terry Wynn at this point in his career. Um, the interesting thing about him, though, there's like a missing time period out of his uh, – from when he graduated high school, going into his college recruitment. He originally signed with Cal State, Dominguez Hills, didn't play there, and then redshirted last year. Uh, added added, at East East Los Angeles Juco. So definitely some missing information there in terms of what happened. But no doubt about that, his his ability to attack the rim, his ability to be almost that – almost want to call him that walking double-double, that type of guy that's going to bring that impact. And that's going to be huge uh, for what UTEP wants to do because it seems like and floyd has been on record of saying this, that they do want to switch that that two-point guard. Look, Evan Gilliard, you got Kobe McGee already on the dotted line. Deion Barrett is a freshman already getting minutes this year. That's going to be huge to see where UTEP goes with that and what they want to do. Uh, that's something that they certainly Temple into said that he wanted to do. Uh, well, it's going to be interesting to see how that works out with the plethora of guards that they're going to have at their disposal already. So that's going to be something to definitely an eye on. And the missing guy, Ladarius Brewer, this is a, a very – honestly, I personally thought that. We didn't see an LOI from a guy like Roger Williams. I really thought Roger Williams would be a guy that would kind of put that off. Uh, A guy that I think has Pac 12 potential, yes, Power 5 potential in Roger Williams. And Ladarius Brewer may be also in in that kind of that mold, if you want to say. I know uh, he was in a a top 10 list of the top 10 Mississippi players, um, you know, along with with, uh, Tyreek Smith who signed. But, you know, really looking at this class as a whole, if I had to rank them, uh, I would definitely put a guy like Roger Williams number one. Uh, number two, I would definitely bring up Tyrus Smith just because in these guys, it's not so much of talent, uh, even though that is taken into consideration when I'm telling you I'm raking these guys. Uh, but I think it, it also fits a need. You know, you look at a guy like Roger Williams, so I touched on what he can bring. And then Tyrus Smith, a 6'9", a guy that I really thought was maybe closer to 6'7", but, you know, Tim Floyd said he was closer to 6'9", definitely going to help size-wise. He can stretch out. He's that stretch for a guy that when you're running those two-point guards, a guy that can kind of move without the ball. That's what it seems. And you can also create this shot by getting to the rim, and he can step out and pop. And that's going to be a nice little luxury to have, too. And then, you know, when you get into these point guards now, as I rank right, the top two, Evan Gilliard and Kobe McGee are almost even. You know, what stands out to me is the same thing that Coach Floyd said. They're city point guards. Evan Gilliard obviously coming from Chicago. Kobe McGee out of San Antonio. Two guys that I think can really, really come here and not do the great. They're you know, you want back you know, to the Evangelia work. You can play that at St. Career Academy, a guy that's a uh, school and it's prestigious as it comes. And you don't go there if you can't ball. You know, guys like Derek Rose, off the top of my head, came out there. I know they produced another couple of other NBA guys, so that's good in terms of pedigree with both of those guys. Kobe McGee obviously had a deep run last year in the playoffs. And I the most interesting about the interesting about this class is how UTEP is is also putting Trey Wade and Isaiah Osborne. And we've talked extensively about Isaiah Osborne and Trey Wade. Uh, You know, when they committed over the summer, both of them, if situations were correct with Trey Wade's grades and obviously with Isaiah Osborne's uh, uh, Canadian transfer issues, however you want to label that, these are two guys that could probably help this team out this year. To what level? Don't know. Ten points very high on Trey Wade. We've seen some high expectations on Isaiah Osborne coming in. A lot of people weren't really high on him now that they saw him in the orange and white scrimmage. Kind of tough to, to base how you feel about Isaiah Osborne in one scrimmage, but it can tell you a lot in that type of games where you look at guys like Terry Wayne, you look at guys like Omega Harris that made impacts in that game, and Isaiah Osborne really didn't make an impact at all. So I think that's where some people obviously are, are kind of tempering their expectations on a guy like Isaiah Osborne, but I really feel overall that this class just fits needs. It fits and needs, and, it, and it's a change from what we're used to, Tim We're Tim Floyd kind of hold these offers to the best, and go after these top guys and try to battle the USC's, try to battle the US uh, UCLA's and the West Coast schools. And when you come into Texas, all these kids that are, you know, these Texas kids, you don't really see these Texas schools kind of jumping on them as much. I think now you probably will with Jamie Dixon at TCU and obviously with with Chaka Smart at Texas. But you, those Texas recruits tend to kind of trickle out of the, out of the state. And we've seen Tim Floyd being able to pull in a guy like Paul Thomas, uh, lost Oliver Powell to La Tech, but. You know, it's interesting to see where he's going after these three, four-star guys, and now he's kind of going off the radar and off the grid for a lot of these guys, and he's throwing out offers. I think there was a tweet out there where somebody said that Floyd had over 60 offers out to different kids, and and most of them were under the radar. I Maybe off the top of my head can think of maybe one or two nationally known recruits that Floyd went after. So it's definitely a change in his philosophy, uh, whether it's just to grab guys or to grab quality. I think it's a mixture of both in this class because – there's plenty of quality, even though the quantity of his range of what he wanted to bring in was, I mean, very vast. You look at the, at what they were able to bring in, and I think this class really, really fits needs. Something that we haven't heard from Tim Floyd, everyone talked about recruiting, and he's been a guy that's kind of backed his recruiting his recruiting methods in the media over the past couple years, and he's really kind of likened this to what they did back into the 80s. Now, I don't, I was born in '88, so I didn't get to see the whole shebang. I do know a lot about what happened in the 80s. But you look at guys like, like a Roger Williams, you look at the point guards like Evan Gilliard, Kobe McGee, and even a guy that really stood out to me in terms of his athleticism and Dion Barrett. And that's really, really are switching to kind of that two-point guard, having those athletic 6'5", 6'8", forwards that can kind of get you rebounds and can do it all. And that's what you're looking for. And that's what you're looking at, combo forwards, when I say that. Guys that can step out and guys that can also play a true forward on the wing. So that's something that's really, really interesting. And it's going to be interesting to see because today is the last day. Or uh, signees or commits to sign in the early period. So, literally, Darius Brewers is going to slip through the cracks unless there's a, an 11th hour uh, LOI that triggers in. But obviously, UTEP is on the East Coast right now uh, in the tournament for, for that. So, that's going to be something that's going to be definitely interesting to monitor over the next couple of hours, I guess you can say it, here on Wednesday night before uh, you know, head in tomorrow. And, and now you're going to have to push that back until the, the late signing period. So, Definitely something to talk. Uh, it's interesting to keep an eye on here as UTEP's uh, finalized that recruiting class. Now, what's next, you may ask? Um, you know, personally, if, if Ladarius Brewer doesn't sign, I really think UTEP's going to go in after a, a big guy, even if he doesn't sign. You know, right now, it seems like this is preventative maintenance recruiting from Tim Floyd in terms of oversigning and what he has returning back. It's, it's, it's you know, you have seven guys potentially, uh, you know, Five, six to seven right now because we don't really want to fully count in the Darius Brewer because, like I said, this is the last day of time he hasn't sent his in. But you only have one senior leaving in, in Tommy Artist. and now you're at, trying to add six to seven guys coming in. That's going to push you over the 18, you know, 16, 17 guys. So is this preventative maintenance from Florida? Maybe may be expecting another mass exodus. Um, you know, you have a couple guys that have been in the program for a while, and this is nothing uh, – you know, not throwing out names or for any rumors, but you have certain guys that you look at and think, well, could he be out the door? One guy that comes to mind, Jake Flaggert, because he be, should be able to graduate. I don't know exactly what his graduation uh, status is, but he should be very close to that. You know, be able to, to grad transfer with, with no issue in terms of, you know, the schooling and stuff that comes along with it. Uh, you look at a guy I think really that's already being talked about uh, was – kind of hesitant of even playing here this season and now looking at the first couple of exhibitions and seeing his minutes down uh, dwindle to almost nothing, Adrian Moore, that could be another guy to keep an eye on. And all this stuff is just hearsay. It's just talk. Obviously, we're a sports talk forum and going to give you these type of, uh, of, of theories or agendas or whatever. But that is definitely – this recruiting class is just so, so, so fascinating at that fact of – you know, you got seven guys coming in next year with only one guy leaving. What's going to happen? And that's really what kind of makes this recruiting class more interesting to me than what the season could possibly be, and we'll get into that right now. So definitely something we want to touch on. But I am low here today, so I'm going to have to stop and take a drink of water for y'all. <laughs> I'm glad y'all can join me here on this Wednesday afternoon. So let's move along. We'll get back into basketball here in a minute. Uh, actually, I'm going to talk to USA Basketball with Dave West. Uh, He's a blogger that covers UAB for the Daily Dragon. They want to hear his thoughts on the early conference USA slate. That's kind of been uh, fast-paced, and it's been a couple of interesting performances. I don't want to say good wins or nothing like that. yet. we'll get into that with Dave. But moving on, UTEP football. UTEP football. Why you got to do me like that? Let's start off with the positives. Obviously, Aaron Jones breaking the school record. I mean, what what a, what a player he is. We talked about it so much on this podcast. Um, you know, the thing about Aaron now, the next step is you look at this season and it's done for it. In a sense, a bull win, a bull hoax, 3-7, and seven, two games left on the year. Um, you know, the big thing I think that's really – that I, I really think UTEP fans got to look at in terms of football is Aaron Jones' NFL draft status. Now, right now, in my personal opinion, um, in terms of the national – of where Aaron is. Anybody that's watched Aaron Jones over the past two years, you know, obviously the play last year, but if you watch Aaron evolve over the last two or three calendar years and, and you've watched a lot of Utah football like I have, you know Aaron Jones is ready for the for the NFL draft. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you can argue with me and I'll, I'll listen to any argument on that, but in my mind, call me Homer, call me whatever, I think Aaron Jones is ready for the NFL draft. I think he can go to the NFL next year and help out a team. This isn't the NFL of old where you have to be able to to hit a low 25, 30 plays a game, Aaron Jones can, can – the can, smart team that's going to pick up Aaron Jones is going to put him in the packages that are going to make their team successful and also make Aaron successful because he has that skill set. Now, on the other edge of that, you know, the NFL isn't like any other league. The NFL, your average span of a career is three to four years. So, to me, I always think of – when I look at NFL drafts, and it's not just UTEP, this is overall – I think the NFL draft, you need to be that surefire first to third round pick to have a, a guaranteed career. Right now, Aaron Jones, we know here as UTEP fans, as people that have watched this kid run over defenses in Burgess High School that he's ready. But that average NFL hype fan or, or the NFL writer that's going to put together their draft boards, they're going to put together their mock drafts or whatever, and even some executives that maybe haven't branched out enough to understand what kind of talent this is, may overlook him. So if Aaron Jones does decide to leave, not saying that's going to happen, but just theoretically, if Aaron Jones does decide to leave this year, I think he's going to have a tough road to the NFL because he probably was going to fall through a four to maybe seventh round pick. Um, not guaranteed to be picked because for number one, I think injury issues is, is going to be a big thing that's going to be talked about with Aaron Stratus. I think that's gonna be something that's going to be really, really magnified. This particular year, I think what Aaron needs is another year to prove that he can hang that he can you know go and carry 200 carries at the college level and be able to get banged up but not be able to go on the shelf like he has the past couple years so this has been a good year in in that sense obviously coming off the injury but I still feel that his draft stock and all that stuff that goes into what these executives and what these guys look into in terms of their draft boards I think Aaron's going to slip through the cracks this year now granted he He's on the Dolph Campbell semifinal list. That's that's huge. A lot of people know about Aaron Jones, but I don't think that surefire draft positioning to set him up to have a career instead of just having a a one- to two-year shine with the team and become a journeyman. What I want for Aaron Jones is I want him to, to get into that great situation where he's the guy. I mentioned earlier how you can plug Aaron Jones anywhere, but in my mind, Aaron Jones is I don't want to call him that franchise guy yet, but he's a franchise piece, if that makes any sense in terms of the NFL. When, you know, you look at franchise guys, you got your Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, you've you got those type of guys that, that are franchise guys, and then you have franchise pieces here and there. Most of the time, you look on the defensive side for that, but I think Aaron Jones can be a, a, a future franchise piece for an NFL team. So that's going to be something really, really profound in terms of Aaron Jones as the season dwindles down. A lot of people that, watch college football extensively are going to hype, hype him up in their own right because he deserves it. But will Aaron take that bait and and, and make it a risk? I think right now it, it, it's, it's a risk just because he's not the household name quite yet. And running backs, you already know you know the NFL how tough it already is to get into the league as an NFL running back. So that would be something to monitor. I mean, the kid is just tremendous. I mean, he had a tremendous game, 200 back-to-back yard games against the probably two of the worst run defenses in all of football, in, in college football, that is, and going back to Houston Baptist. But nonetheless, that's what you expect these guys to do. These Aaron Jones, these tremendous talents, is to be able to go off on these lower-level talented teams and we've seen that the past couple weeks. Utah's all-time leading rush passing, John Harvey, uh, is going to smash a whole bunch of other records before the season goes through. I know he's got that 200-yard record, uh, touchdown record, rushing touchdown record, I mean, whatever you name it. Aaron Jones is going to own it when it comes to you touching records and just a tremendous career. And, you know, honestly, for fans' sake, I hope he, you know, for the fan in me wants him to come back. I know obviously it's a decision, but you know, I just feel like maybe that perception of you know Aaron Jones being going to the NFL but being drafted in a comfortable position where it gives him a career instead of just a stint, and I think that's really what. Could hurt Aaron Jones if he leaves this year just because of the fact that he's not that household name. You don't know how many GMs know of Aaron Jones or how many executives that make those draft decisions know what Aaron Jones can do, what his exact skill set. So that's going to be interesting to monitor as we go on. But, uh, you know, and that kind of gets me to my next point. Third and four, ball on the FAU 44 yard line, I believe. And the Miners have an opportunity to kind of sit on the game and, and keep their season alive. And what do they do? With a a guy like Aaron Jones who has 20 plus carries, you haven't seen him have that many carries in in recent. 200 yards, and they run a jet sweep. A jet sweep. A fucking jet sweep, guys. Unbelievable. Uh, you know that game is just kind of. You know it's funny reading the El Paso Times and, and Brett Boonkis, a guy that, you know he's been criticized by a lot of people about you know not asking tough questions and are being kind of you know being cool in a sense. You know. With his, his commentary, he didn't go back in his in his last write-up. Uh, you know, it was pretty plain and simple. You know, his, his was basically you know UTEP has found different ways to, to lose in their 85 year history, whatever it is, as we all know. And they found a new one. You know, up up two scores with seven minutes to go. You know, I'm thinking, you know, that it was just a great drive when they go up 31 to 20. Uh, you know, Mets finds the plink, and I'm thinking that's it, it's over. You know, if, if UTEP defense gets a stop, or even if they don't get a stop. Aaron Jones should be able to kill this clock. And that just didn't happen. And, and I think that is the most frustrating because this is to style football. You know, we, we've talked about it, UTEP defense. Brian Stein, one of our great riders here at Rush, has always talked about that November football, how tough it is to beat you because of their style of offense, because they can grind you out. They want on a, on a screw, what I call a screw-you drive. Like, anytime you know, you, you have a lead in the game and you go 14 plays, you go 80 yards, and you take five minutes off the clock, that's a screw-you drive. You're telling defense you're not stopping me. Screw you. We're gonna go up, and that was what I expected inside that final seven minutes. You know, after the miners went up 31-21, but the defense just could not stop a soul. And that is what we've seen at times. We, we I mean, Anthony have talked about how good defense has been on occasion, and you know now over the past couple of weeks, whether it's these guys just getting worn out, whether their lack of talent is getting exposed all around, and the lack of depth it's getting exposed, and. A team that hadn't been been kind of explosive in the passing game, but to be able to let Jeff Driscoll, who struggled to go 6 of 7 for 68 yards and a touchdown in that final drive without getting any pressure. He also ran for an 11-yard rush, which pretty much accounted for all 96 yards. I mean, that's only uh, at this point of the season. Beginning of the year, it's a little different, but as we've seen from this UTEP defense, their ability to to make plays and how they had three three takeaways in that game. You know, he had two guys that hadn't had interceptions all year, Colby McGarry, a freshman. Uh, you know, in Brennan Row the Juco transfer, has interceptions. But you just did not get that type of pass rush that, that's, need, that's needed in that situation. That has been the Achilles heel of the UTEP defense. As good as they've been on the back end, as good as Alvin Jones is, as good as Dante Lavalette has been, as good as Nick Needham has been, that just the lack of, of a consistent pass rush from that front three has just buried UTEP. Now, granted, I did not get to watch that game, as many of you did it because of Conference USA's shitty TV package. I had to listen to Ty's, so I can't really sit here and break down what was going on, but when you give a guy like 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 Jason Driscoll time to be able to pick you apart, you know, that's on on your front three that you're bringing in, or the lack of blitz. So, I don't know whether UTEP was dialing up blitzes and they didn't hit or miss, Yeah, or, you know, whatever may be on that, but... That's just frustrating to see a UTEP that take so many strides and to see the team take strides over the past couple of weeks and to see it just falter. And that's on the coaching staff. I really feel that's on the coaching staff, that 34 situation. They convert that 34. You give it to Aaron. You know, we know how easily they, 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 they like to run those bobs, like to run those leads. That's going to give you three yards at least, and that's four down territory in my mind. It's the end of the year. You're playing to win the game. You know, that is kind of a, a – that to me is a conservative call. That's not thinking outside the box. You go third and four and you're trying to run a jet sweep, you know, some people have kind of can probably say, oh, at least UTEP's getting creative. No, 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 no. That's being conservative and not going with what's kind of got you there. And Aaron Jones caught them there. 200 yards. He had a 48-yard rush in that game. I mean, this guy just couldn't be stopped. But on third and four, you opt to a guy. And this is no shade on Walter Don. Walter Don is going to be a fine player in his UTEP career. But, I mean, come on now. you got to put the ball in the, in the hands of your best player. And, and that's either – a guy like like Aaron Jones or why not a play action with Ryan Mitch and you give him that run pass option on a bootleg or a naked where you know he can get you four yards on with his legs, but you're messing with the defense option. And that's you know, we've we, we sit here we've we've hammered on the offense about how creative they've been and that the whole game, listening to Tice, they stuffed that you know, the FAU did a tremendous job of being prepared to stuff that jet sweep with Walter Don because there's no secret of what Walter Don is going to do coming downhill on that jet sweep. You know, there's really, you know, or you know, coming sideline to sideline, I should say, on, on that jet sweep. So, you know, that was disappointing to really see them kind of just falter that and, and blow that away. And that's on the coaches. The kids fought. They gave themselves an opportunity. Offensive line has really, really gelled over the past couple of weeks. Defensively, we've seen the struggles, like I mentioned, but I mean, it's just disheartening. Another year with no bowl. Uh, you know, where do you go now? You know, where do you go now? What are the positives you can take away as I take a swig of water here? You know, the only real positives that you can take away from this is the young guys that are playing. You know, have seen a lot of guys defensively. Uh, Foster Dixon comes to mind. Chris Richardson comes to mind. Mike Soda comes to mind, the defensive end. Um, LaViolet, in a sense is kind of young. He has a year coming back. He's even though he's a co transfer. Uh, Nick Needham defensively, and then offensively, obviously guys like Walter Don. The week before, Kevin Dove uh, against Houston Baptist showed some some flashes of potential. But at this point, that's the only thing that you have is is continuing to get these young guys playing time, getting them experience, getting them ready. Because then what I'm saying this is because right now the consensus is about sixty forty where people want maybe even 70-30, I'll say 70-30, of people that want uh, Sean Coogler gone. But Sean Coogler's kind of message this week, what I got from the press conference is he's coming back. Uh, you know, he's, he, he kind of, I don't want to say he maybe defend himself because nobody was going at him, but he kind of defended himself with stats on how UTEP has improved uh, statistically. Uh, you know, he brought up, and they're good stats. You know, they're good stats, the things that UTEP was showing, us, some things that we pointed out here on the podcast and obviously people have talked about on the, on the comment thread, but it's just interesting to see that that was kind of his way of saying, I'm coming back in my mind, in my opinion, you know, I think he's going to come back because the fact that he busted out these stats in both sides of the ball. Now defensively, he busted out a couple of stats, but I got to disagree with him defensively. I think the defense has taken a couple of steps back from where they were at the midpoint of the season. But obviously the insertion of Ryan Metz has just boosted this offense, you know, tremendously. Before they came into the bye week, UTEP was averaging in the neighborhood of 19 points a game, weren't getting it done. Now, in the latter half of the year, UTEP's averaged, uh, you know, 35, obviously, uh, 35 and a half points, I think it is, obviously helped out by that 52.5 overtime. You see that, you know, this UTEP offense is able to kind of hang on drives a little bit longer. The play calling has switched up at times, but you still see first and second down, shit your pants moments, if you will, from Brent Pease. So, you know, but I kind of agree with Kugler that there has been some improvement, but overall, I mean, it's just, you know, this shouldn't happen midway. You know, we should have been talking about improvement with this particular group from week one because I feel the talent is there. The depth may not be there or, you know, having horses that you want or stable horses, but that frontline talent is Conference USA competitive, if you will. You know, this is a team that really should have been able to compete against Old Dominion here at home. Uh, you know, a team that probably should have given themselves a better chance to compete on the road against Louisiana Tech. But it does, you know, to me, it all it all comes down to coaching. You know, and this to me, this season, as much as you know, you want to say, well, you still adjusting in two new systems. Well, you know, you're paying these coaches a lot of money, and they're respected coaches. They've coached that have been around. These aren't first year guys, Brent piece has been around. Tom Mason's been around, you know, this really should have happened. Like the coaches were saying, what were happening over the summer? Obviously it hasn't. So where do you go from now? If, if, if you're Sean Cooler, you know, I think where he's going is, you know what? I got one more year. You know, I think he has that hunger. We've talked about it, how we have so much respect for Sean Cooler, because he wants to win. He shows that will to win. Uh, you know, he has that excitement to win here at UTEP. He's going to shake things up. So that is what I saw on Monday as a presser. And I think, that, to me, leaves him coming back next year. You know, he may not say it, you know, but I don't think that that he'll say it, you know, in the next couple of weeks. So, well, we need time with these new coordinators, with these new coaches. But I think that's kind of the thought. And I think, you know, maybe we were a little naive as fans to kind of think, oh, well, you know, you could come in here and, and change it in a year. You know, you can kind of argue that as well. But the fact is the job didn't get done again. And it was done in bad fashion. You know, you look at, at the offensive struggles of the first half of the year were just poor. You know, that stuff that, you know, you expect when, you know, when these schools that Utah was playing is playing the FCS team, and the Miners can't even manage first downs, the Miners can't even manage a, a first half drive. It's just three and out, three and out, three, three, three runs in the college of dust. And that's what I think was most most frustrating about this Utah team is, you know, with the upgrades in the both systems that fit personnel, we just haven't seen it full circle. And that's why I think Sean Coogler wants to give himself an extra year because he feels the coaches are in place. And, and I agree with him. This is not disagreeing with saying that. Brent Pease should be an offensive court and The way that they're running it, the way they're running the 3-4 defense, it fits. You know, it's just not being executed at a high level because I think that lack of, of whatever you need from a coaching staff, whether it's that extra effort, whether it's that, uh, you know, just that knowledge, that extra head of knowledge in there to, to get into these meeting rooms and to get through these kids and to kind of correct these assignment mistakes, correct you tone coverages or whatever it may be, that falls on the coaching staff. And I think with that, though, Sean Kruger will be back next year. Uh, just based off of his comments, what he was saying on Monday, he's looking forward to kind of, you know, I guess, reaping what, what, what they, you know, what they saw last year, uh, this year with struggle. So I think, you know, that's what I gathered from press conference and being there on Monday. And based off Sean Cougar's comments is that he wants to come back next year. He wants to continue to build this thing. He's got one year left on his contract. I know there was something out there where he, he got extended through 2020. Can't really confirm that. Uh, the last thing I saw was the, his buyout actually will end the, uh, this, uh, next August, 28, uh, 2017. So after August 31st, the buyout goes out the window So for either side. So that's one thing that we do know in terms of Sean Cougar's contract. Definitely something to keep an eye out on because, like I said, I just when I gathered on Monday, as much as most of us here on, on on the rush have that same respect of you know what? Well, Sean's done a great job in terms of the academic part, in terms of the accountability part, the discipline part, but the on football part hasn't been there. And, and I think that's I can speak on behalf of 70% of minor fans that feel that way that don't want to see Sean go because of the good stuff that he has, but. Week after week of the X's and O's and the lack of offense and 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 just one week you're up, next week you're two step downs. I think people are just tired of that inconsistency. And I think it's seventy to thirty right now. And I'm on that seventy third. I'm on that seventy percent. But I do have a lot of respect for Sean Cooler because of what he. I, I like ball control offense. I've said it here before, but it's just not working at this moment. And you know, I don't. Know, I don't know if if you go out there and you blow out Rice and you come home and you blow out North Texas. I don't know if that's enough to sway that that what it, to me is a popular opinion now of Sean Koo's job status. Now, you know, looking at this game against Rice on paper, this is the game UTEP should win. This is a game that Aaron Jones should have another huge game. Defensively, I mean, this is a game where you really feel like you should be able to get pressure on Rice's quarterback. Rice has kind of been a mess offensively, and they've been a mess defensively. They've been a mess all year long, this Rice Al's team has been. And I really feel that this is a game that UTEP should go in there and handle business if Sean Coogler is, is continuing to right the ship like he's saying, and, and that is going to be something to watch this, this week. Rice, we've UTEP's obviously struggled when they play that Rice. There's no denying that. It's been a place that the Miners have struggled for years, and even recently under Sean Coogler. So that's going to be, to me, the most interesting aspect is where this UTEP team is at mentally. Are we going to see that energy we saw coming out of the bye week, or, you know, look judging off of some guys' tweets after the game? I mean, that loss hurt that team. You know, that loss probably took a lot out of these young guys, you know, in terms of their confidence going forward. And at this point in the year, I'm pretty sure most of the people, what are we playing for? Obviously the seniors have a different mindset, but can Sean Coogler kind of rally these guys and say, look, let's finish strong. You know, obviously that's what he's going to come out and say to the media. That's what he's going to say on his radio shows and whatnot. But can he get it together and actually do that? And, and you know, at this point, you're not salvaging anything other than pride, but can you salvage that pride and can you salvage Guys, you know, being excited to come back next year, being excited to go into off-season workouts and get ready for next year, you know, to finish back-to-back years at five and seven. You know, it, it's not it's not an accomplishment in no, no mind, but where this season has gone, it's a small accomplishment inside that, that locker room, inside that Durham center, to be able to finish strong and to carry that over. Will it happen? Don't know. You know, I I don't see this UTEP team having that same energy that they had against UTSA on the road. Hell even last week, you know, for what you know, what fifty-three minutes against FAU, you know, where they where they battled and do they have that in them? Do they have hundred and twenty more minutes of that of and particularly next week on the road, sixty minutes? Because you lose to Rice, you know, you're flirting with that distinction of the worst team in FBS and that is not good for Sean Cooler's job security with the confidence that he ha- seems to have that he's coming back next year, that's not going to do wonders. And that's not going to please people. If you go to Rice and you lay a dud and you get your ass kicked again. Now, what happens if YouTube goes out there and fights and falls short again, you know, that could be a different story. Because at this point, I just want to see this team fight. I just want to con- – I don't want to see them lay down. I want to see these young guys just to continue to get better and build themselves for the future, regardless who's the head coach, regardless who's the defensive coordinator. So that's going to be something that I'm definitely going to keep an eye on. It's a 10 o'clock kickoff, and El Paso time. Don't know how many people are excited to get up and watch that game. I'll be one of those. I don't know about the excitement to get up and watch that game, but I'll definitely be people that one. ESPN3 uh, is where you can find that one. Q-Tip and Rice, and, and basically as we make our weekly predictions here, uh, I, I don't know where to go with this game, guys. I, I don't know how. To see it going, I, the only thing I know for sure is that Aaron Jones is going to get his yards. Aaron Jones is going to eat. He, he seems like he's on a mission right now. Whether it's you know personal, whether it's racking up yards, I don't know. I don't want to speculate or, or or make him seem like a selfish player at all because Aaron Jones is not. But Aaron Jones is on a mission right now, and, and that's going to be kind of UTEP's mo the next two games. It's going to be Aaron Jones. It's been like that all year. What am I? What am I kidding myself? The next two games. So you know, I think this is going to be a close game. I think. It's going to be an exciting game that probably nobody is going to watch. Uh, you know, I, I see it being somewhere in the 20s. I think, obviously, you know, like like I predicted last week, a turnover is going to kind of be the difference in this game, and that's what it's going to be for either side. I still think that UTEP has not turned that corner all year long. I've, I've been playing against UTEP. I've been kind of uh, projecting against UTEP all year long, and, and it's, just, it's just because I just don't see this team being able to turn the corner. Just like I predicted against FAU, a late mistake, whether it was coaching, whether it was uh, by a player, a late mistake would haunt UTEP, and, and that's what it, what's what happened. And so it's real interesting. It's going to be real interesting to see how this team comes out. But I see it being in the twenties. Uh, I think I, I'm going to give it to Rice. I think Rice 24 I think UTEP's going to have to settle for a, a field goal or two that they're not going to want to or, not, or or probably shouldn't in that game, and that's going to be the difference. But like I said, Aaron Jones. If Aaron Jones is, is able to get off and the defense is able to play well, UTEP should win this game but we just don't know what the mindset of this UTEP team is. And that's where I think, you know, this team is just almost fractured in a sentimentally uh, coming into this game against Rice, where I just don't know where to go with it at all. Uh, so that's going to be something that's definitely going to be interesting. In terms of Sean Pooler's, uh job security, because like I mentioned, you go in there, you lay it down to Rice, that popularity, that popularity vote in Sean Cooler's favor, which I feel is at 30% right now. It's getting lower at big time. So, Definitely something to keep an eye on. 10 o'clock a.m., UTEP and Rice on the road. Arroz, be nice to us out there. Real curious to see what that Rice band has in store for UTEP. They usually put together something every year. So, real quick, uh, at this point, you know, Conference USA, where UTEP stands, some interesting football being played up at the top. Uh, Louisiana Tech, Czech, number one in our current uh, USA Power Rankings this week. Uh, I think that I, and I voted for Tech. I think right now they're – obviously the hottest team. They won seven, eight games in a row. Western Kentucky right behind the collision course uh, right now for what to set up that Louisiana Tech-Western Kentucky game uh, going into uh, the conference championship game, which was actually officially set up today in terms of the time. Um, obviously time and place will be dictated by the standings, but right now I think it's Louisiana Tech. It, it's, it's, but, yeah, or excuse me, Louisiana Tech and Western Kentucky, and then everybody else. You know, we've kind of all year long have been kind of looking at the top and looking, well, it's the top two teams and everybody else. But well, right now, that that's that just how it is. Old Dominion, looking on the outside, looking in, they lost to Western Kentucky, so they have a game and a half. Uh, they're a game, in, a game, I think it will be a full game behind uh, Western Kentucky, but a good year for Old Dominion, a good building year. I'm always high on Bobby Wilder. I really like the talent that they have. Um, and, and that's pretty much that next level. It's took Tier One. Uh, with Louisiana Tech and Western Kentucky, Tier Two with Old Dominion uh, by themselves, and then Tier Three you kind of go through the battering, uh, the battering ram of Middle Tennessee and Southern Miss. Uh, Middle Tennessee battering, battling injuries right now with their quarterback Brent Stockstill really makes that program go. It's not so much their offense that program. I mean, you know they. Just cannot get anything going last week against Marshall. And that is kind of surprising the way Marshall has been playing. So, uh, Southern Miss, Nick Mullins was out. I had seen some tweets that he's going to return today. Uh, those are four and five teams. And then six, 13, I mean, at this point, I mean, really, who cares, uh, you know, to be honest with you? I'm not even going to lie, y'all. I'm not going to hold no, you know, no no pun, nothing. Uh, you know, the bowl eligible team still kind of. Eligible, I guess you could say. Charlotte, they're our number 19, four and six. Uh, North Texas, that's dwindling. That's going to be interesting to see. They got Southern Miss, that's an, obviously an eliminator game, uh, but you know that could be a game. North Texas can kind of keep their season alive and come in here in El Paso in the final week and have something to play for. Then uh, UTSA, that's. You know they got uh, A&M this week. That's obviously going to be a, a lot of A&M, uh, pretty solid. But then they have Charlotte to end their game, and you know Charlotte has Middle Tennessee, a Middle Tennessee team at home. So that's going to be interesting to watch in terms of can U.S. Uh, Conference USA fill their bowl obligation, which is right now kind of 50-50. Southern Miss with five losses, UTSA with five losses, North Texas with six losses, and Charlotte with six losses. So, uh, you know, those two teams is crunch time the next couple of weeks, and then we'll figure that out. And by the way, UTEP comes in at 12, where they should be. Uh, the battle for the bottom, UTEP and Rice, next week at Rice Stadium. So, there's your football outlook. Uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting offseason, to say the least, or an interesting month of December. Uh, another thing, too, just to touch on before we jump into basketball, we has been very quiet, uh, you know, no commits, you know, still the same four commits, Alex Fernandez from Vandergrift in Austin, uh, Kobe Herring and Tracy Moscoro uh, out of uh, Refugio, Texas, the 2A power down there. And then Cutter uh out of El Paso, Franklin, uh, Spencer Lefkowitz committed, but nothing. Other than that, haven't heard anything. Uh, haven't heard any uh, new offers. Obviously, they're still recruiting. i uh, seen a couple guys from San Angelo. actually saw an offensive lineman from El Campo that was visiting uh, in the last home game, uh, the San Angelo recruits. Actually, that was uh, Cal Vincent. He's probably one of the most talked about Texas High School quarterbacks right now uh, for San Angelo Central. They're making a big run um, in their playoffs. Uh, that's going to be interesting to see where they kind of go because San Angelo Central, Darren uh, Eich has a connection there. He was the offense coordinator at Angelo State, we know, um, and he brought over Dylan Parsi, defense, uh, defense, uh, outside linebacker that's uh, – getting some playing time here this year. So that's going to be something interesting to watch out for is just how, how recruiting goes. Normally I always say re- recruiting, the way they're recruiting reflects on their job security. When you talk about coaches that are kind of on the fringe with their job security, obviously Sean Cougar could be one of those. We don't know, uh, but that's going to be something to monitor over the next month. Once December hits is, you know, that's their big blitz month, you know, football recruiting December and January, that's when recruits are coming in every weekend. That's when the offers are going out. That's when the coaches are really using that recruiting uh, budget that they have to really get out there. And it, it gives them just a two-month period, but we've seen them be able to pull miracles in terms of just bringing in bodies. So going to be something very, very interesting to watch for is UTEP recruiting because they have a lot of needs, particularly at linebacker. And you might want to upgrade some things on that defensive line as well. You know, defense heavy is going to be a big thing in this upcoming UTEP football recruiting class. So enough with the football. We'll leave that for next week <laughs> as a Miners 3 and 7 going to Rice, just playing for pride. But, um, UTEP Miners basketball, getting back on the hardwood, uh, obviously had their opening season, if you want to call it an opening season, win <laughs> last week against uh, Louisiana College, a game where I expected that to happen. I wrote about that. You know, the first two exhibition games were very, very shaky, lots of turnovers. Uh, lots of unknowns uh, that still weren't figured out in those two exhibitions. Not, you know, one went into overtime, the other one was a seven-point game, five-point game in the last four or five minutes. He to pull that out. But it was good to see them go out there and and, and move the ball. You know, that is what I took away the most offensively. They moved the ball, 29 assists on 34 field goals. A lot of – couple of missed layups, a couple of of, of turnovers that probably could have, you know, put UTEP into the hundreds, Uh, you know, maybe even – you know, who knows? Maybe this game would have been a lot, you know, a lot less closer than it was. But that's something that I really was impressed with UTEP being able to move the football uh, or move the football. I'm still in football talk, y'all. <laughs> move the basketball around, get guys assists. Dominic Argus with 13 assists uh, in that game. But well, we'll get back to UTEP here in a little bit. Uh, got my man Dave West from Daily Dragon on here to talk some Conference USA basketball as a slate. It's hot and heavy this week. What's going on? What's good? Can you hear me?
1: Yeah, Alex, how are you, man? Oh, good, man. Hey, I'm
0: trying to wing this podcast solo, so thank you for saving me, bro. (laughs) My partner asked me (laughs) how to commission today, so I appreciate you coming on here and sharing sharing a couple minutes of your time and your expertise on Conference USA basketball. Let's jump right into it, man. You've seen, I'm pretty sure you've probably dipped into your stream of almost every Conference USA basketball team. What's kind of jumped out at you uh, right off the bat as you watched the first half week of basketball so far?
1: Yeah, I think I've um, as of tonight I've probably seen double digit USA games. I've seen every team play so far. Uh for me it's Rice. Rice is just nothing like I've ever seen them have like this this is this is like Morris Almond days Rice. It's um it's wow. really impressive. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 something else. They're playing Texas Southern right now. Uh, Mike Davis our former coach and I think they're leading. I just walked away from the computer cuz I need a little break with my eyes, but uh, they're impressive. Uh, just overall, one through 10, everyone's just pretty darn good. And that's not something that we've been able to save the past, you know, three, four years since Memphis has been out. And that's a big deal. I mean, you know, depth's a big deal. And one to 10, I think any given night, those teams can beat each other.
0: When you talk about rice, is it? Is it the athlete that they're recruiting? When you say that, you know, I, I've been kind of a big fan of, of Mike Rhodes, and and I've been an odd at some of the athletes that he's not so much basketball players, but is that what's kind of jumping into at the, the athletes that Rice has to be able to execute what Mike Rhodes wants to do in terms of that, that style of play that they on the run?
1: Yeah, I would I would say so. Um, Marcus Evans is just a steal. I mean, I mean, he, if that's highway robbery, what he did when he, I mean, not in a bad way, by the way. But when he left VCU, that was somebody on VCU's radar. And he left, took Marcus out of Virginia, and brought him over there, and then you know combined him with with Igor Kulichov, who's like he he was. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure he was on Arizona State's uh, squad yeah. early on before he transferred. And dude, I mean he's he, he's he's supposedly a guard by you know by a position, but that kid is. I mean he's a Ford. With and he reminds me of um, of Klay uh, Thompson. That's who he reminds me of, man. He can just do everything. And then you've got Marcus Jackson, who's kind of a, a rollover from the old regime. And, and it's, it's it, I mean, I'm not. I'm not gonna sit here and say Rice is like super deep. They're not. I mean, they're six, seven guys that are really good. Like as you know, maybe as good as any team in the conference. But like you said, they're athletic. They're they're almost positionless to a certain degree, and that's. That's where college basketball is right now.
0: So, in your mind right now, if you, you know, I know you have that Conference USA schedule almost on your head. Who is going to get that signature win? Who is it going to be? Who has, who has the firepower not only on the roster but on the schedule to be able to go into whether it's a road game or neutral floor to go in there and to get a good win for the conference here before conference play goes around in
1: January? In my opinion, if we can get just two. Uh, anything above what happened last year, because uh, Law Tech at Ohio State was it. That was the marquee win. That was it. Period. And that was Ohio State team that was super young. This year, I mean, I I would have pointed at a couple of UAV's opportunities with uh, with with Kentucky and Kansas and St. Mary's, but you all know about the Nick Norton injury. And hell, I don't know what to expect from us right now. I'm I'm not I'm not saying it's doom or gloom, but just a lot to learn there right now. If I had to pick a game, I, I really like. You know, I'm not being a homer here, but I really like y- y'all's opportunity against Wake tomorrow. Uh, Wake, Wake's good. Wake's got some guys, but uh, UTEP's got a lot more experience than they do. Um, funny, funny thing, like I was looking at your article about the the, uh, the, the pregame article for the, the the game tomorrow at the. Uh, in Charleston, and uh, Keyshawn Woods is on their roster, and I yeah. remember him like it was yesterday when we played them. I think it was two seasons ago when they still had Mike Jarvis, and uh, and he uh, he and I mean, they had a bunch of dudes on that team that are all now oh. playing for power five schools. <clears throat> and we and we beat them in overtime in Birmingham and shot some like stupid percentage in the first half to do it. But that Keyshawn Woods, he had 19 points in that game, by the way, when, when we beat them. He was the the game high score, but I, I like y'all. I really do. I like y'all over Wake. I think it's possible. Um, I think I think um, you know your you know Artis and Omega are gonna have to play like the entire game. Yeah, I like oh, that yeah. game. I like Rice in Texas Tech. I think that's, that's a sexy pick. I was going to say La Tech over Nebraska, but they don't know. They they're still putting stuff together right now.
0: Yeah, so I, I, if I, I had see to, that.
1: I mean, replacing point guards is like it's, it's, it's super tough for mid majors. I mean, I mean you guys know. I mean, when you when it, when um, when Dominic lives, leaves, it's, it's going to be tough. You know, just like what it is for us with Nick. We I mean, we got a great roster, but when you don't have a point guard as a mid major, man, it's tough. So, but those are a couple games I think that are on on my radar that are winnable. And so yeah, yeah. But yeah, those are the ones I would pick. And I mean, I'm going to be tuned in tomorrow watching watching the weight game. So.
0: Sure. Let me do something fun here. We got a caller on the line. I don't know who this is, but we're gonna bring him in here. Caller, you've been holding for like five minutes. Who are you? <laughs> Hi, my name's Alex. Alex. Oh god. Uh-oh, we have a troll. I, I... No, people, no, no, people, no, I'm people not a troll.
1: Are... i People I really oh. like basketball. Uh-huh. Go ahead, man. And I I I like what the point guard's doing out there. You know, I like how he spaces the floor. Definitely, definitely a uh, um go getters are you talking about
0: UTEP? Huh? You're talking about Dominic Artis?
1: Yeah.
0: Okay, go ahead, man. My bad. I just want—I just want to make sure we're on the same page. So, uh, go ahead, man.
1: Yeah, I like how he say he's the floor. You know, he's a—he's a real team leader. And I like fucking booty bitches. Me too, bro. <laughs> Me too,
0: bro. <laughs> I knew that was coming, but yeah, I—I just got to throw that in there, Dave. Sorry to ruin your interview. That's gonna—that's gonna. No, thing no, to that's
1: totally. I I um I never underestimate people from El Paso ever. Uh, hey, but you
0: know he had a six four six area code, that's, so that's why I was like, wait a minute. I thought it was somebody with a legitimate conference USA question for you, bro. That's why I.
1: Live radio, man,
0: live internet radio, anything can happen, man. But uh, get back to our conversation that we're having. You know, UAD, uh, it, it almost seems just based off, you know, obviously the only reactions I get is off some Twitter reactions that it, it seems like some people are like, oh, the sky's falling with a Nick Norton, Norton injury. And then there's guys that you, that, that like I got from you that, oh, well, there's the cover's still full. You got, I think Denzel Watts is still there if I'm, if I'm correct. Uh, A couple other guys. What is going to happen at that point guard position? Do you feel like that's going to be something, an issue that can linger in a conference play with UAB?
1: Yeah, I don't think so because, like you said, with Denzel Watts, Denzel's the guy who we had um, for when Nick had the flu when we beat Iowa State. I mean, Nick played like two minutes, sat down, and and, and, uh, Denzel came in. And he pretty much just—he didn't lose it for us, and 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 that's kind of what we need with the pieces around him. But um, he was actually redshirted um, coming into the season. It was kind of a late announcement. Was it wasn't. Yeah, and um, it's no longer redshirted. Uh, Denzel's got a little bit of weight to lose. He's two thirty-five as a guard, and he's—I think he's like six-one. So, so he I mean he might actually play fullback when we come back to football next fall. <laughs> he could. But, he uh, could. Just, yeah, he could. But it's it's going to be kind of a by a committee type thing for the time being. Um, he and uh, Dion Lavender, who's a Southern Illinois transfer who's who's got some good experience. He when when they were, when he was playing in the NBC. Um, I mean, he played early on. He's only a sophomore with us. I mean, he'll he'll help. He's supposedly the point guard. But um, honestly, I don't think we really know. And the terrifying thing about it is we we don't have a whole lot of time to figure it out. I mean, we've got. Troy tomorrow, which Troy's a good team. They're, they they I would say they're, a, in my opinion, they're a top 200 team. Uh, and then we got Kansas Monday, and then St. Mary's the following Sunday, and then it's just Murderer's Row. So, so I think we'll learn a lot about our guys. I would, I would look closely at that Kansas game. If we can find, you know, between Dion and Denzel, if if they can be, you know, kind of a by committee point guard position, then then maybe we'll be okay. But um. I'm a little worried, to be completely honest. With you. There's there's things that Nick does that don't always come up on the stat sheet. I mean, oh yeah, Nick's not a, yeah, he's not an above the rim kind of point guard. He's kind of like uh, uh, Dominic is. I mean, he's a distributor. Well, that's, not, that's probably a bad comparison because Dominic's a fantastic rebounder. But but Nick N- N- Nick's just you know he does things that you don't really you, like. I said don't come up on the stat sheet. He some some good things that that um, he's just he's very smart. And I'm a, that's, that's my biggest concern right now. I'm not so sure how prepared we are with our other two options, though.
0: So. No, I totally agree. I am mean, looking at, at Nick, he does. He does he does exactly what you say. He does a lot of things that don't show up on the, on the stat sheet and that he's been that rock for you guys. So that that's definitely a big loss. Dave West, joining us here on the Rush Podcast, talking a little conference, U.S. Tech basketball. One of the main reasons why I wanted to bring you on is because I needed to get your opinion on this team because, I'm not drinking their Kool-Aid at all. And if you look in our Conference USA power rankings, our voters aren't either. But a lot of people around the league are high on them. Old Dominion. I think there's going to be a major drop-off, and you made a great point earlier of how, it, how it's tough to to replace point guards at the mid-major level. But how in the hell do you replace a guy like Trey Freeman, who just was, I mean, good for 20 and night pretty much every time he went out there?
1: He had some of the most Absurd statistics from last season, like his field goals attempted, his field goals made, his minutes played. Like I, I, I can't recall a team being that reliant on one guy, and and he did it for them. I mean, they they were winning over twenty three uh, point uh, excuse me twenty three games a season for two seasons in a row. But let me tell you this: I've seen Old Dominion's past two uh, basketball games against uh-huh. two very good opponents. Old Dominion is the real deal. They may be Ooh. one of the best defensive teams that I've seen in college basketball. They are suffocating. They've got like I could probably name off five or six power forwards that that are are, are have good feet, good footwork. They're not huge, but they're just they're just suffocating and 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 they're and they're getting a little bit of of, of, of offense from, from some guys that are. Like Baker, who had been there for a while, who had been kind of a backseat to Baycoat and Freeman. I mean, they're getting some offense, but the thing about it is, they only got to score about 60, 65 points a game. I mean, they're just suffocating, but I'm not going to totally get on their train until I see them at Battle for Atlanta next weekend or next week, whatever it is. Um, that's when they'll play teams like Louisville and a couple of other guys, but. I mean, Alex. I mean, I kind of agree with you. I'm not really buying into it, and and I kind of wrote that way. I I, I ranked them eight, but I think mm-hmm. I, I think with that defense. I mean, defense travels, man. They went to James yeah. Madison last night. I mean, excuse me. They went to Richmond last night and they won. I mean, with defense alone, though.
0: So. And then and Jeff Jones. I mean, a couple of years ago, this was the same deal where. It was kind of Jeff Jones and Tim Floyd at atop that defensive totem pole where their teams only needed to hit 60 because they're holding people under 50 and they're holding teams to 35% shooting. So that's definitely something interesting from somebody that's watched college basketball this year. So final question here, man. You had your preseason predictions, obviously. Has anything changed from the, you know, the handful of games you watched each team play this year or is the jury still out on your on being confident on these picks? Obviously, I feel, I'm pretty sure UAB and Middle Tennessee were probably your top two coming
1: in. Um, yeah, Middle's definitely solidified. I've seen their game. Uh, Ja'Kory Williams, like even considering UAB's power forwards, he may be the best power forward in Conference USA. He has no business being in in Murfreesboro. He is a power five power forward. And he's got pieces around him. I'm terrified of Middle. I mean, we've got a five-game win streak on them, and that may not last. Um, I, 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 I don't know what else to say. They are better than last year, and which you, 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 everyone saw what they did in March. I think they are a better team. Um, I would say they're where I expected them to be. I'm a little worried about Marshall. Marshall, I, I ha- I'm really I was high on Marshall because I really liked Elmore and Browning, but I mean talk about a drop-off after like the sixth guy on that roster I mean it's I mean it's a bunch of and I don't want to talk bad about marshall because I like their first squad but they got some rec league guys beyond number six so and they're, they're they're gonna really rely on them so but UTSA's kind of surprised me so I'll kind of give the, I'll give them a shout out um, I mean they're playing at UIC right now Illinois Chicago on the road and they're competitive and they were competitive on both their first road games against Big teams so I would say for the most part, everyone's kind of holding suit. There's not any major surprises. So um, we'll know a lot more by the end of next weekend, I'll tell you that. For sure, yeah, that,
0: that UTSA, was, they were able to go up there and compete on the West Coast with both Fresno and Michigan uh, State. was definitely surprising as they're down seven with two minutes left in the first half. So, Dave, appreciate you joining us. Uh, y'all follow his stuff. Uh, follow him on Twitter, at God Save the half. They do some tremendous work over there at the Daily Dragon. Follow them over there at the Underscore Daily Dragon, covering all your UAB and Conference USA needs. Dave, hey man, appreciate you coming on. We're gonna have you on a lot during the Conference USA basketball season. He's a boulder in our power rankings. Lots of knowledge, Conference USA knowledge from this man right here. Appreciate you, Dave.
1: I appreciate you, Alex. You um, you send Denny Manning packing for me tomorrow, right? Ha, ah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Uh,
0: that You have it. Dave West. Dave West joined us. Good stuff over there at uh, at the Daily Dragon. Highly, highly recommend you guys bookmark them and check them for your conference. You basketball fixes this year. And he said it. Uh, Danny Manning, you step on Wake Forest. Let's jump right into it. Niners opened up what I consider their season uh, against a formidable opponent. You know, this is a team that uh, is kind of... You know, Tim Floyd is giving them some respect and calling them a middle pack ACC team. This was a bottom-barrel ACC team last year. Uh, now they do return, uh, you know, with some very talented guys. The first guy that jumps off of mine is, is Bryant Crawford, uh, led all ACC freshmen in assists and steals. Uh, you know, the guy we talked about, Keyshawn Woods, um, just a talented guy, a guy that just can, can fill it up in that Omega Harris mode, but a very, very controlled guy. Um, you know, I, I don't know how Charlotte was able to pick him up. Like they was talking about, I think uh, Su- Bernard Sullivan was also on that team. Just very, very talented Charlotte team when they came in here to the league. And now most of them, like they mentioned, are in power five schools. Keyshawn is one of them. But the guy that troubles me and the guy that is probably going to have himself a big game tomorrow is going to be John Collins. I mean, this is a big guy, 6'10", not sure if UTEP can match up with this guy, you know, man for man. That's going to be a big test for Kelvin Jones. Kelvin Jones going to have to put his big boy pants on. His first Division one opponent is going up against a guy like John Collins. John Collins may not be an NBA prospect. Uh, he may not be a guy that's may probably won't be a, a player of the year in the ACC, but. This is a legitimate power five center at the college level. It's going to be productive. He's already put up, uh, you know, 18-10 or 18-12 his first game, 19-9 the second game. Uh, and then not only that, but they also have another seven-footer, Doral, Doral Moore, who's leading the team with six blocks. He's 7-1. And get this. this is, to me, this is, uh, this is a crazy stat. He's made 51 career field goals. He's dunked on 34 of those. And if UTEP is not protecting the paint, I mean, this guy, him and Collins are going to eat all day. And they've improved their three-point shooting. They, you know, They came out and have shot lights out against the likes of, who is it, Radford? And, and uh, Radford and Cornell, uh, with, with the, what they're supposed to do. But you see the talent, they kind of upgrade in the backcourt. Also, uh, Mitchell, a bit, you know, i got to look him up. He might be related to the old uh, guard from uh, Florida. But either way, you see kind of that talent level that they have in the frontcourt. That's going to be a very good challenge. For UTEP guards, it's gonna you know, be it, it, you know we've seen them struggle with taking care of the basketball in three exhibitions. I'm not counting that Louisiana Jackson college game as a real game, by the way. Uh, and he is from he actually uh, Will McKinney is from Steven looks like Uh So a little bloodline there for uh, Wake Forest. But again, thinking about this guard matchup with UTEP and Omega Harris and, and Dominic Artis, those are gonna be your two guys that that are gonna do are gonna do the majority of your ball handling. And they both struggled. Uh, with taking care of the basketball and making efficient plays, not so much creating offense as we saw artists with 13 assists. But in these type of games, UTEP has to be as efficient as possible, and they can't afford to come up with empty trips, you know, too many empty trips. You're not going to come down and score every time. But, you know, three or four consecutive empty trips with bad basketball is going to turn a five-point game against Wake Forest into a 20-point blowout. And that's where I want to see in this type of matchup athletically, Utah is going to be challenged. So you look at these first two games and they weren't challenged athletically and they the guards were still turning the ball over constantly. You had 20 assists in each of these three warm-up games. If that happens against Wake Forest, I mean, this is it's going to get ugly. You know, there's no doubt about it because athletically Crawford can match up, Wilburton can match up, Keyshawn Woods can match up. And that's what's gonna be what's gonna be interesting to watch UTEP as how those guys how those guys can handle that pressure and be able to get you and know, efficiently and be able to get guys to rock offensively. Like I've mentioned before Rod on Dave how I was impressed with UTEP all movement in, in the in their last exhibition game and, and it wasn't as efficient as you wanted it to be, uh, you know, because they still turned it over twenty times but you know, that is what's gonna help that extra pass, that willingness to to make that extra pass and to get the easier bucket. It's a team that's probably going to pack the paint and wait for it, so they're probably going to force UTEP to shoot jumpers. I, I don't see this a game where is going to be able to get easy layup after easy layup like they did in their, in their exhibition games. UTEP is going to have to be able to work the ball around to get Matt Williams an easy bucket, to get Terry Wayne an easy bucket, to get Kelvin Jones Paul Thomas easy buckets and, and to possibly get their bigs in foul trouble. And that's what's going to be the key offensively is can UTEP guard match athletically what Wake Forest is going to throw at them defensively. And that's going to be a test that that's going to be something that's probably going to dictate this outcome or dictate how UTEP is either to control this game or whether, whether they're controlling this game or whether they're playing from behind. But if that guy, that Kid in the middle just truly scares me from a standpoint where I feel like he's a guy that can they can just throw it in there and he can get his own. You know that is going to be something where guys like Matt Williams are going to have to use their files uh, wisely. Kelvin Jones gonna definitely have to use his files wisely, and that's something he doesn't understand yet, guys. That's one thing when you look at Kelvin Jones, he's so raw. That aspect of, of when going up against somebody like this, that it's not there for him mentally yet. It will be as a game plan, and I'm pretty sure it's being harped on, you know, as UTEP's game planning for their first, you know, opponent, I guess you can say, their first D1 opponent, legit opponents. That's going to be something to keep an eye on as well, is how Kelvin Jones reacts to a 6'10", 235 monster that's probably played basketball all his life in high-level basketball. To a guy like Kelvin Jones who's picked picked up his highest level of basketball was when he stepped on this campus just a calendar year ago. And, you know, Matt Williams, too, how healthy is he? Can he hold up against a physical guy that's going to be a little quicker? He's going to be a little bigger. He's going to be way more conditioned, obviously, because Matt has a condition. Uh, but those are just a couple of things that I'm looking at in this game. The coaching matchup is obviously going to play a factor. Uh, Danny Manning tell the 3-0 lead against Tim Floyd. He, does, he seems like he's done a good job, of, of what I can remember, of making Tim play left-handed. And that was when, really, when we were struggling offensively to find buckets uh, you know, you didn't have kind of the quote-unquote offensive firepower that you have now uh, developed with Harris, with Lynn, with Artis, those three guys that can kind of get you buckets. That wasn't happening during Danny Manning's time at Tulsa, and he had great defensive teams at Tulsa, but I expect, nonetheless, in terms of that physicality on the perimeter with their guards, being able to get up in Artis's shorts, get up in – in Omega shorts and make Omega make a mental play before he can make a physical play. And that's, what's going to be something that I think Danny Manning really going to pressure on Floyd. His defense, his defenses are going to be interesting, especially if, if it's just an inside out game and Wake Forest is doing whatever they can. If they're just throwing in the post and this Collins kid is eating and they're, you know, we're trying to collapse and he kicks it out. Somebody's mopping from deep. Gonna, it's going to be a real thing to see how much of a handle Floyd takes on this team, because I think it's, I think defensively, they're the worst defensive team than they were last year. Uh, you know, you lose a guy like, like, like uh, you know, you, you lose a guy just like, uh, oh, damn, I'm drawing a blank here, guys. <laughs> Urban Morris, that's, you Morris. Know, Urban isn't the greatest defender, but he's a guy that can go out there and he can glue for you. Uh, you know, uh, Caldwell didn't do it very often, but Kevin Caldwell was another guy. Lee Moore was kind of that physical guy that, could kind of get you a stop when you needed it or just stay in between his man and the basket. I don't know if this UTEP team can do that, and that might get exposed. So how much of a, of, of a hold or much of a control does Temple have over this defense in terms of the jump defenses, in terms of, you know, boxing one? Who's going to be that boxing one defender? That's something we may not see this year at all, of UTEP going to that effective boxing one because they don't have that who guy they can stick out there, or they haven't identified it yet. So that's going to be another thing that I'm watching. Is if it gets to a point where Wake Forest is getting every bucket, anything that they want, how is Tim Floyd going to adjust with this new team? Does this new team have that mental capacity to understand what Floyd wants when he's calling for a triangle two when they're down 12 and they're trying to cut into the lead? But those are things that I think with this team are going to be very important, the mental aspects, because that, the, the depth is going to get exposed. You know, the lack of having another true big man as of right now is going to get exposed. But this team has enough athletes where if they get that mental aspect of the game right in their mind during this time before conference play, that could be something this team can hang their hat on some conference play, playing smart basketball, outsmarting you, making that smarter play. And we haven't seen that yet out of this UTEP team. And that's going to be something that, that's going to be uh, almost imperative for this team to get over those depth issues that they have how this game is going to go, I think UTEP's athletically can probably hang with this team. Uh, they're obviously proved. They were picked 13th in their league. Don't know what that's kind of based on, whether it was their last year's performance or what they had coming back. But I think this is uh, better than – this is definitely a 6-10 slotted ACC team, and I think UTEP's going to have their issues. They'll come out early. They'll play well if they're knocking shots down, but that's going to be the whole gist of this UTEP season. If Artis is knocking shots down and getting in the paint and, and, and making layups and being efficient, and if Harris is knocking down shots, and if a guy like Terry Wynn is able to do what he does and, and to get his easy, easy buckets, Utah should compete all year. But when that doesn't happen, we don't know yet. That's the big question. That is a big question, and I think that's going to get answered either positively or negatively really quick. Literally split against Wake Forest in this one. So I think Utah fights a little earlier. You'll see Artists, are excuse me, Keith Harris knocked down a couple of shots to keep that game close, but I think Wake Forest's depth and that Collins kid, uh, you know, and the 7-1 kid, those guys are going to really be kind of deflators, you know, when you said get to stop and they're able to bring it within six, but, you know, you go down and Boromo just slams one down off of a great pass or they give it to Collins and Collins is able just to work, straight up work Kelvin Jones late in the game. I mean, I think those are going to be, differences in this game that turn a five- to seven-point deficit into that 15-point hole that I think UTEP can find them in. And, and like you uh, UTEP minor pointed out earlier on Twitter, it's a nine-point uh, spread right now in favor of uh, Wake Forest UTEP plus nine. Uh, I, I don't think that's a safe bet right now just because we don't know what UTEP's going to bring. Uh, you know, if, if we could find some type of consistent theme in this game, that's maybe transferred over from the exhibitions, three-point shooting, ability to get to the lane, that could probably change in terms of betting on UTEP this year. Uh, but I think it's almost a safe bet to take Wake Forest and, and, and those points. I think Wake Forest will probably win by 15, 14 points. But, you know, this UTEP team has a lot of growing to do. And it starts tomorrow, 11.30 a.m. ESPN 3. We'll have the comment thread up there earlier. Hope to see all y'all out there on the comment thread. Uh, as UTEP's first test, I mean, it's we talked about how, what this team could possibly be, and it's not good. You know, we, we feel that this team is a 14-18 win team with so many questions around it. But, you know, can this game, can this Wake Forest game give us some type of I guess you can call it hope, that maybe we'll compete in that upper five the Conference USA. I don't see it happening, but weird things have happened on neutral floors in November tournament. Obviously, we saw last year with, with UTEP, you know, being able to, to run the table at the tournament. Granted, they didn't play nobody in the likes of, of a Wake Forest and potentially using it very loosely, a team like Villanova in the second round. But definitely going to be all eyes on this UTEP team early on. Uh, a lot of questions on this UTEP team early on. And I think majority of those, like I said, whether they're negative, whether they're positive, uh, whether they're surprises, I think they will be answered tomorrow against Wake Forest. Winner gets either Villanova or Western Michigan. That will be at Friday at 1.30 El Paso time or 3.30 El Paso time. If they win, that's a 3.30 start, I believe, on ESPN 2. If they lose, they'll be back on ESPN 3. So for the first time without Anthony, I felt a little alone, but I got through it. Uh, I appreciate, appreciate that caller who came in with that? that nonsense, man, made us laugh. Appreciate Dave West for coming on. Check us at minorrush.com. You know how to get at us on Twitter. Y'all know the email, sbnminorush at gmail.com. Catch us on Facebook, or Facebook Live, all the press conferences, all the inside information, inside video information that you need. There, so another episode of the Rush Podcast, episode 10 for 2016-17 We'll try to get with you all next week. Look, shooting for Tuesday uh, before the Thanksgiving holiday. We're obviously going to have a lot of hoops to talk about uh, with three games coming up this weekend in the uh, Charleston Classic Tournament. So for Anthony Salome, I'm Alex Nicholas. Good night